0: God's word for us today uh, comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, and I invite you to follow along if you'd like. You can take a few notes in your service folder if you want on page 7, and let's uh, pray as we hear God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together today that we might hear your word. We pray that you would not let me, your servant, stand in the way of all of us hearing your your beautiful truths, uh, particularly the, the, the amazing truth that you love us so much to send a son to die for us and to take away all our sins. Uh, And and rather that you would let your, your Holy Spirit be here, fill this place, and to change our hearts and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So even as a pastor, and I don't know, maybe it's especially as a pastor and I just think about this more, but I'm pretty aware, or at least I think I'm aware, of the, the ways that I live inconsistently in my life, uh, the ways that I live inconsistently with the Bible. For example, this week I had a friend uh, come over and we were, we were just talking a little bit and he was telling me this story about um, a project that he worked on for another church. And he was told by the pastor as he started the project that when the project was done, it was going to be made available to people all through the town and the community, right? So everybody in the city was going to be able to take advantage of this project that he was working on. Uh, and he was glad about that. He wasn't going to just do it for the people of the church. He wanted to do it for the whole community, you know. And then when the project was done, the, uh, the, the church, some people from the church came to him and said, nope, not happening, right? We're just going to use this ourselves. We're not going to let anybody else use it. It's not for the town. It's just for us. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's kind of sad. Of course, they can make whatever decision they want. If they want to let it be for the town, fine, it's for the city, you know. And, and if it's for the church, then it's for the church. That's okay. What made me sad is the inconsistency uh, on the pastor's part, you know. Uh, I don't know what happened, what, what made him not act with honesty and integrity, but it was too bad, I thought, that the pastor, you know, acted that way that he was he ended up being so inconsistent. Um, and I thought about all the times in my life that the same sort of inconsistency with what the Bible says strikes at me. You know, I mean it just it happens. It happens way more than I like. You know, I think about my my job as a pastor to call people to repentance and to encourage them to see how God's word urges them to change their lives Uh, and yet how much I struggle to repent myself and so people have come to me and said you know where is the where's the empathy pastor You, you just there doesn't seem to be any heart like you understand what we're what we're going through where is your where's your empathy you know so that calls me out right for the inconsistency of of our lives and this is a this is a pretty Big issue. I mean, it's a very subtle one. You know, you're, almost none of us are aware of the ways that we live inconsistent with the biblical truth or with a sense of authority, but it happens so often. It's, it's just pervasive in our lives. Uh, and, you know, if you don't think it happens, here's just a, an example from a nice person. Um, now, this, you know, none of you know this person, okay, so don't think I'm talking about you. Not talking about you. This is not an example from you. Uh, this is person lives far, far, far away from, from here. But you know, uh, somebody told me about how they were very aware. They were. They've always been aware of their own forgiveness. Right. They've never struggled reading the Bible and, and hearing God's word and, and saying I'm forgiven. But then, they they when the Bible says um, respect your elders and walk humbly or clothe yourselves with humility before them. That part they can't do. They just said, I, I can't do that part. As soon as I see somebody who's, who's making up crazy stuff, I just cannot respect my elders at all. It's so hard. Right? And so they, he admits inconsistency with biblical authority is a, a huge issue in his life. He, he just can't do it. Um, just because we got one area figured out, right, doesn't mean that we have the other area figured out. And author, author Tim Keller says that, and I'm going to kind of summarize here, but he says that this is the result of the Enlightenment. You know, the Enlightenment told you and I that we have to put ourselves in the place of judge and, and jury in the courtroom of morality, that we get to decide what's right and wrong for our lives, and we throw out all of the tradition, and we throw out all external authority, and, and and it's, only, it's up to us to decide what's right and wrong for us, right? So what that means in the result or the end of it is, is that you and I, we go through life picking and choosing what's right and what's wrong. You know, we can one, in one breath say, I believe the Bible and the Bible has great authority over my life. And then in the very next breath, we say, but who are you to tell me what to do? And the inconsistency, it doesn't even really dawn on us. Because we've lived, we've grown up in this environment that that says, I, me, myself, and I, I get to make the decisions about my morality. Um, And and if you want to really see what this looks like or how this really plays out, go to a a Bible study sometime where there's a formal authority figure in charge. And, And it plays out so fast. See, if you have a conversation about something moral, in your house. Let's say you're talking about marijuana and whether or not it's, it's okay to smoke or to use marijuana. Now some people in your family or your friends are going to instantly just be quiet right? because they just don't have anything to say. Other people are going to get really outspoken. Oh, I've got a lot to say. But, but everybody knows there's no real authority figure there and in the end you all get to walk out of the room and say I'm going to do what I want to do. And it doesn't matter what everybody else says. You know, I'm not even going to have to listen to my mom anymore because my, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want, right? Uh, so we say that to ourselves. But then go to a Bible study sometime where there's an authority figure. And I, I did this just this last week. You ask, ask one of those bad questions, bad teacher questions, where there's only one right answer. Um, never supposed to do that, as, especially as a pastor, uh, so I asked one of those questions, right? And, and then people try to answer the question. And, uh, and I think at least one time I just said a flat, no, that's not right. And it's like you take sucked all the air out of the room. Right? It just, whoom, all of a sudden all the air goes up because everybody's like, oh, I'm not a good person anymore. I, 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 don't, I don't know who I am. I, I don't have this sense of identity and this sense of self anymore. Right? We, we live in an, in an environment where if we're wrong, if we're told we're wrong, that crushes just our sense of self, our sense of identity. It takes away all of my own self-worth. And it, it doesn't have to be that way, it, but it frequently is. It, it doesn't have to be that way. I remember one time I was in a, a study with a group of people and we were going through a, a specific topic. And, and now these people were all people who, who had, had worked through all of their issues and they didn't reject authority anymore. Right, so they could have really fairly significant debates about the government, uh, about churches, and about uh, religious practices, and, and all of these big heavy things in life. Right, and they could do it without quitting, without shutting down, without feeling like they weren't an important person anymore, um, because they had, had worked out their issues of, of, about rejection of authority. And that's what Peter wants to invite us to think about today and to say, what if, what if you and I could consistently let the Bible influence our lives? What if, what, if, what if we would let the Bible influence our lives the whole way through? What would that look like? How would that, how would that go? And so Peter wants you and I to, to think about that question. Does the Bible consistently influence your life? What if The Bible did so. And so it's kind of an invitation along those lines. Now, Peter asks us, or he starts off by saying it this way. He says that we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is saying to you and I when he he wants us to think about how we consistently apply or let the Bible influence our lives. And so he's talking about what we might say is the historical nature of the Bible, or the genre of the Bible. What's the external evidence that tells you and I to listen to the Bible? Uh, Because at the time of of, uh, Jesus, just like today, there's a lot of people who use stories to support their religious perspective. Uh, One of the things I always think is is an interesting example, so at the time of Jesus, there's this huge book going around called the Magical Papyri, and I can help you buy it if you're interested in it. Uh, It's a massive book of incantations and examples of miracles from the couple hundred years around the life of Jesus. So there's all these stories, right, that are going to support a particular religious perspective, And in some of the stories, there's even stories going around about Jesus. One of my favorites is this story that's told about Jesus as a little boy. Uh, It's the Sabbath. He's beside the Sea of Galilee, supposedly. And he's making clay pigeons, or little clay birds. And one of his friends goes and tattletales on him because he's working on the Sabbath. So his dad comes to yell at him. And just as his dad walks up to yell at him, he blows on the birds. These 12 birds turn into real live birds and they fly away. Right, so now he can't get in trouble. I mean, and these are the stories that are, are going on around about Jesus uh, around the time of, of Jesus' life. So you can see Peter saying, these, all these, these, these stories that are going on, what, what do you think about those? Are, are these just cleverly devised stories that, that we're telling you? See, it's not so bad to tell people stories uh, to encourage or support a particular religious viewpoint. I mean, if if you come to me and you say to me, why should I listen to the Bible? What is it about the Bible that that makes me want to to listen to it? Of course, I'm gonna tell you stories. Part of what I'm gonna tell you is stories. Not everything, right? One of the things I'll probably say to you, if you come to me and say, why should I listen to the Bible? I'll say, well, you've probably heard that the Bible that we have is a copy of 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 a copy, right? And so you just can't trust it. It's all these copies and, and there's lots of mistakes. And I'll say, that's actually not at all true. That's that's not true. That's not the way it is at all. For the last 500 years, we've always gone back to the earliest manuscripts we have of the Bible. So when you look at your English Bible, it's not a copy of an English Bible from 100 years ago. We go back to the earliest manuscripts from the hundreds, if we can, and get the Bible from from there. And, And so, as you look at those earliest manuscripts, just like if you were to pull out the voters' meetings from a congregation or the council meetings, you're going to find typos. We do make typos in our meeting minutes. Okay, it happens. I know it's very rare, but it doesn't. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, you're going to find typos, you're going to find that we, we use the wrong tense, we use the wrong verb sometimes, we, we have wrong word order in our sentences. We make all those kinds of errors, right? And, and so if you go in the Bible and you look at all the old manuscripts, sure, you can find some of those, but the mistakes are, are pretty obvious. There's only maybe 40 mistakes in all of the earliest copies of the Bible that matter at all to the meaning. Maybe only 40. That's not bad, right? You got a, a thousand page book, a thousand page book, and we have thousands of copies of it from the early years of, of the Bible, and, and we maybe only have 40, 40 mistakes in figuring out what the earliest possible edition of it is. That, that's not too bad. You know, if you wrote a book and you only had 40 mistakes on the first crack, I'd say, eh, nice job, right? Um, and that's with, that's with spell check. So, You know, one of the things I would tell you first off, if you ask me why should I listen to the Bible, is because we've got very consistent manuscripts. If you go back, and you can write this down if you want, we've got incredibly consistent manuscripts that were spread out all over the ancient world that tell us what the Bible says. So that's not a story, but I'm also going to tell you a story if I want to tell you why to to listen to the Bible. Because I'm going to say, for example, you know, there was a a Christian author and a scholar one time and a, a Jewish priest and a Muslim imam or a Muslim cleric who all sat on a panel. They talked about their different religions. They said, here's the things that are the same about our religions. We all believe in in one God. There's just one God. And we're all people who believe in a text. We use a text. That's how we figure out our religious uh, beliefs. But you know what we all disagree on vehemently? Jesus. Who Jesus is. That's what we all disagree on. And the Christian perspective on Jesus is unique. It's it's very unique. It's not like everybody else, right? So that's a story that I'm going to tell you to tell you about why you should listen to the Bible. It's because it has unique content. It, It says something to us that nothing else says. So that's not to say that stories are all bad, is it? Sometimes we use stories to help make a point or prove a point. Jesus, or Peter here, wants to say, At a certain point, you need to move beyond the stories. Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. What does it mean to follow a message? How do you you follow a message? You, You let it call you to action, don't you? You let it call you to a certain perspective. And Peter is saying, at a certain point, you've got to let this whole scripture and Bible idea call you to take certain steps in your life. You gotta realize what Peter says when he says, we were eyewitnesses. Who's the we? Who is the we he's talking about here? I mean, he's talking about himself and James and John, but he's talking about everybody who saw what Jesus said and did. And these people are are the New Testament authors. These are the writers of the Bible. You know what he's telling you and I is, is he's saying the Bible is an incredibly unique book. The Bible is the only religious book that is going to tell you of a story that happened for you, that was done for you. Every other religious text that you read is going to tell you, here's who God is, and here's what he says to you, and if you do your life this way, then God is going to do something for you. You know, if you read the, the, the Quran, there's interesting things in there, but the message is going to be, submit, and then God will do something for you. If you read the Buddhist writings, it's going to be a suffer, experience suffering, let suffering happen to you. And, and then they then you will see God do something for you. So you you know, all these other religions are going to say, Do this much, suffer this much, in, uh, submit this much. And if you do all of that, then God will finally work for you. And, and Peter's saying the Bible's not like that at all. Peter says, You know what the Bible is? The Bible is a historical account. It's a historical record of your salvation. The Bible is a historical record of our salvation, and there's no other book that works like that, that tells you a record of your salvation. And and when you get that, when you start to see that, your skepticism, your questions they will slowly start to melt away. They'll just kind of fade away. That's been always one of the things that surprises me as a pastor for people. You know, everybody has questions. If you're new to the Christian experience, if you're new to, to, to the Bible, if you're new to the gospel, you, you kind of start to think, well, geez, Louise, I must have way more questions than everybody else. And, and in a way you do, but um, really, you know, everybody has questions. Whether you've been a Christian for, for 30 minutes or a Christian for 30 years, everybody has questions. But over time, the questions also start to amplify God's grace. You know, I've only ever met a group of Christians who can stand around and say, that was a terrible tragedy. That was an awful thing that happened, right? This child died. This hurricane took place. This was a, a terrible thing. But it's only ever the Christians who can also say, you know, Thank God. Thank God that that he rescued us or he rescued this people. And thank God that he worked this good thing out of it. Christians can see that. They can ask questions and see grace all at the same time. That's what happens. That's what happens when you, you can look at the Bible and say, these are eyewitness accounts and we are following it. It just calls us to action in our whole lives. Not just looking at individual stories, but we're letting it bend our whole lives to a different way of living. And, you know, I, I, one of the best examples I've, I've seen of this is from a Frenchman named Emile Calais. Emile Calais. He grew up just before World War I, and he was an agnostic. He went to the university, uh, and he said when he graduated university, he had never seen a Bible. Can you imagine that? Grow up with, and never see a Bible. Uh, and so he, he enlisted in World War I. He served. He got shot. When he went uh, to the hospital, he sat there lying in the bed and, and he was thinking, you know, he's kind of a thinker, a philosopher sort of guy. He was thinking about where he came from, who he was, and where he was going with his life. He's asking all these big questions and he's saying, I wish I had a book that understood me, you know, a book that could tell me about me, about who I was and where I'm going with my life. And so he starts, he starts taking notes as he reads lots of books. And he says, oh, that's an interesting quote. I'm going to write that down. You know, and, he, and he finds another interesting quote and he, he writes that down and he th- says to himself, someday I'm going to have a whole book that tells me about me. And so he gets really excited about this book and, and then one day he sits down outside underneath the tree and he starts to read the book. And, and, and disappointment washes over him. You know, every page he reads, he gets more and more disappointed because he remembers when he wrote that little quote down, and, and he remembers what he was going through, but it doesn't apply to him anymore. It doesn't mean anything to him in his life anymore. And so he gets more and more disappointed. And eventually then he says, the whole thing would not work because it was my own making. It was my own making. So then his wife walks by, and, and she happens to have a Bible that she just got from a French priest who handed her a French Bible. He's a Frenchman, they're in Canada at the time. Uh, and, and she says to him, well, maybe you want to read this. She says, okay. Right? So he reads the Bible the whole night. That whole night he stays up and he, and he reads the Bible. And he realizes as he reads through it that, that this is the only possible book that could make sense of his life because it's a book that's not of his own making. It's the first book he's read that's, that's not of any human being making and it could tell him about himself. And so he says, as I looked through the Gospels, the one who spoke and acted in them became alive to me. This is the book that would understand me. What happened to him? What happened to him? You know, all, all those questions, the problems that he saw, they, they slowly slid to the side. They were still there. But, but he began to experience what Peter said when he said, Prophets spoke from God. Suddenly this whole thing came together and it was God saying to him, here's where you're coming from and here's who you are and there's where you're going. And wouldn't you like to have more of that? Don't you see for you and for me here, the same thing. If you understand that that no prophecy in the scriptures came about by a prophet's own writing, suddenly you've got a book that can say, here's who you are and here's who you could be. Wouldn't you like to go there? Wouldn't you like that to be you? That's what could happen if the Bible was the consistent influence on our lives. And, and so I want to just invite you to something today as we, as we wrap up. You know, we got 40 days here for Lent. And I realize that uh, many of us read our Bibles pretty often. And, and many of us don't hardly ever read our Bibles. Um, but 40 days for Lent starts Ash Wednesday. Starts Wednesday this week. Maybe we could try reading a little bit of our Bible every day. Just pick something out and read it. And if you want to be systematic about it, read Mark. Start with Mark, and then you can read Mark all in a row. And see what happens. You know, see what God, uh, what God says to you. Because there you've got a book that's not by any man, but prophets are speaking to you by God. God himself is coming and, and talking to you. And if you want any, some encouragement uh, by it or some support, send me a message of what you're reading, right? Send me a question, send me a Bible quote. You say, oh, this is interesting. I never knew this was in there before. And I won't think you're bragging, I promise. I won't think you're big, you know, it's not that you're too big for your shoes or anything like that. I'll just say, oh, that's cool. I can give you a two thumbs up back, right? Then we can together see what it would be like if the Bible consistently influences our lives. Huh, let's try that, let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together today so that we can discover what life would be like if the Bible would consistently influence us. What would it be like if the Bible weighed over our every action and if we could consistently put the words of Scripture into our hearts, into our minds, and then eventually into our lives, into our hands and our feet. We ask that we would be encouraged. We realize that we have lots of questions and skepticism about the Bible that keep us from listening to you. We ask, we ask all kinds of hard things, and we say, how could that possibly be true? And I don't want to do that part, and I don't like that part. Please forgive us for those questions. Lead us to repentance and true faith in you as the sole savior of all mankind and the giver of a divine and perfect law, a perfect wisdom that will show us our lives. Let us see the words of scripture as words coming from you to tell us who we are and where we could go with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.